It is a blessing to be here this evening in this wonderful church that has become so much part of our lives over many years when we came here first. I think it was 2011 uh, when we first came here. And at a time really when our lives were going through some change and, and this place was a tremendous blessing to us at that particular time and has been since. I follow what Matt does very closely and I was saying to him this evening, one message he preached a few weeks ago, one of the best, clearest messages I've heard in talking about some of the current problems that are going on and, and I really blessed by So much so I've recorded it on my phone so it'll pop up somewhere else in the future. So uh, he's a, a wonderful, a wonderful blessing to the church here. And of course, I see Doug and Angie so often, and they're in our prayers. They're very much loved in the UK, uh, very much by our family and by uh, the international gospel outreach that I represent, uh, very much loved by them. And it's great to be with Rick and Cynthia this week and having a special time with Anne Max and the young people over there in uh, the uh, over in IBC. And our theme this week is IYKYK. Who knows what that means? Hashtag IYKYK. See, if you're over the age of 40, you'll think, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. And I didn't know. And because I didn't know, I didn't care that I didn't know. But IYKYK says, if you know, you know. So I, my, my wife says, well, IYDK, DK, if you don't know, you don't know. And so I had to look it up. And so that's what my theme is this week about, about knowing. So we're looking at people in the scripture who know and people who don't know. I brought some newsletters with us. They're out in the foyer. If you're interested in just seeing what we've been up to, there's a little bit of details about us in there. And uh, thank you for those of you who pray for us. Thank you to Matt and Heather who supported us faithfully over the last few years. And for many of you who have done that in this church, thank you. Uh, last year, well, the year before, when COVID really hit, you know, we weren't allowed to travel. And the same here in America, travel was restricted. And so when travel was lifted, that's all I do now. I don't look for opportunities to preach at home anymore. I've got minister friends who are always saying to me, oh, I can open up some doors. I said, I don't want any doors open to me. If somebody invites me to go and speak, I'll go and speak. I don't ring anybody to go and speak. But when I, when I travel overseas, then God has opened up some tremendous doors this year. I'm just back from Transnistria, where Doug also has been. Had a fantastic time, and I just love the way the Lord opens up doors for us. I was in Pakistan a couple of weeks before that. Again, had an amazing time. I hadn't been there since 2015, and I didn't get a visa then, and I was a bit nervous that I wouldn't get my visa this time, but it all came through, and they flocked to the meetings. I had a leadership meeting in Karachi and over 750 people came because they remembered what I spoke on the last time I was there, 10 years previously. I, I talked about rewriting your story and they came back and we had the most amazing God time with leaders from over 100 churches in Karachi and it really was very, very special, a, a special time. And so I appreciate that. On the way to Transnistria, I was told, you know, keep your head down when you get there. It's a, a Russian-controlled place, and uh, i just just tell you this little story as I introduce what I'm going to speak on tonight. I was flying from, uh, from my, my home airport is Teesside. I was flying to Schiphol in Amsterdam, and from there to Romania, and then from Bucharest in Romania, I, I flew to Moldova, and then I had a guy come and collect me in Moldova, and we drove across the border into Transnistria. Very easy to get in because we arrived about one or two o'clock in the morning, and the young guys were asleep, more or less, on, on this, so they didn't look at, they looked at my passport, but that's, that's about it. But on the flight, uh, where in this place where, where few know Jesus, 
I, I overheard on, on the bus, there was one of these airplanes that you, it wasn't a gantry going down. You got a bus to go out to it, propeller aircraft. And two guys in, standing on, beside me, I'm sure they were talking about Jesus. And uh, I thought, well, this is interesting, in a place where there's not supposed to be very many people who follow Jesus. When I got onto the plane, you had to fill the plane by the, the rear door because there wasn't a door at the front. So I was sitting at the front, so I had to get up and, and, and get right up to the front and just sat there. And, and it was a very, very loud aircraft. But as we flew, there was a guy sitting just across the aisle from me, and he had a notebook out, and he was writing notes. And I, it, I was a woman beside him, and I guessed it was his, his wife. There was a woman beside me who wasn't my wife. And uh, anyway, I was flying there, and I really felt drawn to this man. I couldn't talk to him. Uh, because there was, I'd have had to shout and he wouldn't have heard me anyway. And I didn't think he spoke English. So we got to, to uh, Moldova and uh, going out to get our luggage. And I went down to the, to the you call him a restroom. We went, I went to the restroom and he went to the restroom at the same time. So we're standing, not to be crude, but we're standing by the urinals in the restroom. And I don't talk to men in the restroom. I've made it part of my ministry life. Don't talk to men in restrooms. You can get into trouble for that. You know, and so I, I just, I, anyway, I, I felt, I can't say I felt drawn to him. I was in the loo, right? But he was standing just across from me. And I had just, I said, I said, listen, I noticed, I noticed you were taking notes on the plane. And uh, he answered me in perfect English. Uh, so he said, yes, I was. So I said, what were you doing? Oh, he said, I was just writing down some thoughts. So I said, are you a preacher? He said, yes, I am. I thought he was. And so that's, we left him, all job done, <laughs> washed our hands and went out, went, went to where we collected the luggage. And he came over to me and he started talking to me. He says, I've just come from a conference in Greece where we have prayed over the first 12 Afghani nationals who have been sent out as missionaries from Afghanistan. But he says, I'm at a, I'm at a, a, a turning point in my life and I've been asking God what I should do. And I felt, so I shared a word that I felt God had given me for him while I was on the plane and shared it with him. I said, don't go for, don't go for these. God's calling you to take a, a, an expensive, a risky choice. Go for it because God's with you in this. He will never see me again. I will never see him again. But I thought from his, his perspective, he's sitting on the plane writing out some notes saying, Lord, I need a word. Please give me a word. Let me know what I should do. And this Irishman randomly comes up to him and says, I think I have a word from God for you. So isn't God good the way he works those things? So yes, he's a good God. I want to speak this evening on, on how unfair God is. What? You live in a nation that, that over these last few years, many of you are, are political people. You think politically, I'm going to keep politics out of it tonight, which is a good thing. But, but we, we see what goes on in the news, and it depends what news channel you watch. I've stopped watching news on the whole, but if you depend on what news channel you watch, you'll get the same story from a totally different perspective. But a lot of things that have happened in America over the last year or two, people are very unhappy about. And people will say things like, it's not fair. It's not fair. And I would agree with you. There are a lot of things that go on that don't seem to be fair, but God doesn't work on the realm of fairness. He works on the realm of goodness. 
And I want to read a few verses to you. I'll not read many of them because it's not the, the passage I want you to look at tonight. But in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a story about, uh, a, it's called in my Bible, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he'd agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went on about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. You get that? Whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those, who, those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. Now that's what he agreed to give to the ones who'd worked all day. So if you were one of the ones who had worked all day, what's going through your mind? You're thinking, wow, fantastic. I have won the national lottery. He's given them a denarius. They worked one hour. We worked 11 hours. Wow. They're already looking up Amazon, organizing what they're going, booking their cruise. This is going to be the best payday they've ever had until he comes to them and he gives them a denarius. And they look at them and said, oh, what's this? Well, it's a, a denarius. But you gave a denarius to the guy who worked one hour. We worked all day through the heat of the Texan sun, 130 million degrees, whatever it is. Shouldn't we get a little bit more? And he said, but that's what I agreed to give you. And how many of you reading that story would say, that's not fair. Now, I'd have my hand up. I would say, that's not fair. Is that, is that fair? Now, you can answer me. You can talk to me. It's not fair, is it? I would say it's not fair. Say with me, it's not fair. All right, but God doesn't work on the, on the level of fairness. He works on the level of goodness. He just talked to a, a rich ruler in the, in the chapter before. No chapters in the Bible days, of course. He, he just talked to a rich young ruler who came to him and said, he said, good teacher. Jesus is good. Imagine this, you're standing at the cross and you've come out to the cross because the murderer of your husband is about to be crucified. But you overhear Jesus talking to him just before Jesus dies and says to him that, that he's forgiven him and today he'll be with him in paradise. If you overheard that conversation, you'd probably say it's not fair. Wouldn't you? I think I probably would. And so it's a good thing tonight that God doesn't work on the level of fairness because if he did, you would not be received tonight. Grace is all about the Lord Jesus Christ giving you something that you did not deserve. Not one of us here deserved his grace this evening. And you might be angry if you were that lady. 
Now, I want you to turn with me a passage that God gave me during COVID. I preached a lot on a, a theme during COVID on Beersheba. God spoke to me very clearly. He said, get back to Beersheba. And there's a, a passage I want to read a few verses on in Genesis chapter 21. And, and for me, it's, a, it's an amazing story. America's gone through a lot of changes over the last few years, and it's not fair. Will America be made great again? Maybe. Maybe. And the reason why I say maybe is because there is a sense in us that we only see the number one. When we watch a film, if I ask you about Mission Impossible, who starred in Mission Impossible, the first person you would shout at me would be Tom Cruise because he starred in Mission Impossible, but there were many actors in Mission Impossible. Then if you watch the credits at the end of the film, there are probably hundreds of names. You'll never stay to watch them all. Unimportant people in your mind, but nevertheless important to the production of the film. As we look at what happens in our nation and in the nations around the world, we have our ideas because we work them on the level of fairness. And if God was fair, God would do this. And if God was fair in our country, he would not allow this to happen. He would make that happen. And so I want you to think this evening about a lady in the Bible called Hagar, and Hagar was one of those ladies who was treated unfairly. And if she had lived her life worrying about how God had treated her, then in many ways she'd already sealed her own future because the anger that was in her life would have set her destiny. Angry people cannot hear God. Or should I put it this way? It's hard for an angry man to hear God. God brought that very clearly to me a number of weeks ago. I was over on the way to Ethiopia, and on the way to Ethiopia, I flew through Kenya, and I get my visa when I arrive in Ethiopia every year. That's what I've done for years. So I flew to Nairobi in Kenya. I had to sit through the night. My flight was 20 past seven on the next morning. So I stayed in the lounge. I tried to sleep. I was very tired when I got to the plane, and when I got to the, the, the gate, for to, to get onto the plane, the Kenya Airways girl said to me, she said, where is your visa? I said, my visa, I'm getting it when I get to Ethiopia. She says, they've changed the rules. I said, you what? They've changed the rules. Well, how many of you know I didn't invite her to become my Facebook friend at that very moment? And she closed the door. Now, I, have, I was flying to Ethiopia. I had 200 leaders waiting for me early the next morning, and then 100 leaders, a place called Hawassa, 100 leaders waiting for me the next Monday in Addis Ababa. So I'm standing there. A visa online that I knew nothing about takes two days to get. So I'm in the airport, and so I'm frantically making phone calls they won't receive my, my uh, credit card because they wanted me to have a credit card that was based in a bank in Kenya. Now, how many of you know I don't have too many of them? 
Anyway, long story short, my visa came within the two hours. I got my visa. I was ready to go, but there's only one flight a day with Kenya Airways from Nairobi. So I had to rebook myself onto uh, an Ethiopian Airways flight and pay the... If you book a flight on the day you're going to fly, let me tell you, they, they, uh, they fleece you. So I paid what, they needed, what I had to pay for that flight. And then they, they, the person who booked it for me in, in Ethiopia, my friend in Ethiopia said, oh, they've told me, please ring KLM because I didn't fulfill the last section of my flight to get to Addis Ababa. And for those of you who travel much, if you don't complete every section of your journey, it cancels your return journey. So I had to ring them up and true it was, I had to pay again to get myself home for the ticket I already bought. So next thing, I'm down about $1,200 at this stage. I fly to Ethiopia, and when I get onto the airport, I meet a man who says to me, have you got your visa online, or do you need to get it at the airport? And I saw a sign that said, visa on arrival. Now, let me tell you, now my, my level of frustration goes from normal to uh, the red zone, Right? So I've taken out my phone, I'm videoing, I'm zooming in, all the people are looking, what is this guy doing? I'm seeing hundreds of people getting their visa on arrival, and that's what I should have done. And so now I'm angry, until about 15 minutes into this, God dealt with me and told me to wise up. An angry man can't hear God. I was going to a conference with 200 leaders of 200 leaders who had come to hear God. They weren't interested in my experience of travel. Then I had to go to another hundred leaders where I needed to hear from God. We had a fantastic time. It was wonderful. And God's teaching me this. It happened again a couple of weeks ago. I was in Cornwall. I was, I was at a place called Land's End. And I, I, they, they now have at Land's End, the car park, they have a, a camera that takes your, your, uh, your number plate. And so I, I, I had to, then you put money in a machine. I couldn't see it, so I took off my Ray-Ban sunglasses and I put them, I forgot them and I walked away without them. When I went back, somebody would stolen them. And these, I've had these for at least 10 years. Kathy bought them for me. They've been in every country I've traveled to. So I was annoyed. In fact, I walked around that tourist attraction staring at everybody. <laughs> every young person, a guy that came out, I stared at him thinking, if I see the little rare band logo on, you, a lo logo on your glasses, I'm pinning you to the floor to see if they're mine. I'll smell them. I'll sniff them to see if it's got my smell on them. About 15, no, actually it was a bit longer this, about half an hour into this, God told me to wise up. Angry men can't hear God. And so he's teaching me to release it. Let me tell you, a lot of people in America are angry and they will not hear God because their anger will stop them from hearing the Lord. The Lord needs an, an empty vessel, a vessel that hasn't got a, a pre-programmed argument when I read, um, turn with Genesis 21. I will get to this, honestly. There's, it's a great story because Abraham, God has eventually fulfilled his promise to Abraham. I will give you a son, Isaac, my son, Isaac. I will give you a son. Your wife, Sarah, she will bear a, a, a son. Call him Isaac. What a wonderful day. He was weaned, or he was, he was uh, well, you see, at the beginning of it, 
when he was eight years old, he was circumcised. And then in verse eight of, of Genesis 21, he's about three or four years old here. The child grew and was weaned and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Verse nine, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian whom she had borne to Abraham scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be err with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed will be called. Now I want you to imagine this evening that you are Hagar. Here is Hagar. Hagar is a slave. She's an Egyptian slave. She has no future in herself. Her future will always be tied up with Abraham and with Sarah. She will not make her own choices. She will not go on her own vacations. She will not have anything. But there's one thing that she could do. She could get married to another slave. And hopefully God would give her a child of her own. That's the only thing she could hope for. Oh, her, her child might also become a slave in the family, but that's her dream that she would become a mother. And when Sarah came along to her one day, Sarah robbed her of that only dream she could ever have. She said, I want you to lie with my husband, and if you get pregnant, or when you get pregnant, the child that you bear will become my child. I'm stealing from you the only thing that you could ever do for yourself. That's unfair. I think it's unfair. And a dopey idea that Sarah had, let be on, let's be honest. Abraham, he's just a man. He'll go along with it. <laughs> Great idea. But look what happens in this story. There's a party going on because the, the boy, he's been weaned. He now is a young, a young boy, Isaac. So they're having a party, a celebration for him. And Hagar's part of the party. She probably prepared the food. She's part of the whole thing here. And so she's there. And, uh, but, but Sarah sees her son scoffing. I don't know what that really means. Some, some faces that Ishmael, who thought he would be the heir, 13, 14 years old, he thought he was the one. So he's looking across thinking, who is this kid? Sarah sees him, goes up to Abraham, says, Abraham, I want you to get rid of that boy. This is Abraham's son. I want you to get rid of that boy and I want that woman. I don't want ever to see her in my sight again. Abraham's upset because this is his son. But God speaks to him and says, listen to your wife. Do what she says. So here is Hagar who already has run away. If you read a few chapters previously, when she got pregnant, first of all, she looked at Sarah and Sarah saw her looking in a, in a way that said, I can do something you cannot do. So she treated her very badly and she ran away. And she ran. God spoke to her when she ran away and said to her, I want you to go back and I want you to submit to your mistress, to your master. I want you to do what they tell you to do. And so she comes back. Now imagine you are Hagar. In the middle of this party, Abraham comes along to you and he says to you, I want you to leave this party. I'm not even going to give you a goodie bag. I'm going to give you a little bit of bread and a little bit of water and away you go. Have a nice life. 
Imagine you are Hagar. What would your argument be? I would say, it's not fair. God, what are you doing in my life? It's not fair. How is this happening to me? I I ran away before when I decided to run away, but you told me to come back. I've given you everything. I'm only in this position because I'd done what you said. If I'd ignored you, I wouldn't be in the predicament that I'm in today. And sometimes, as children of God, we find ourselves in a place where our argument can be against God himself. Have you ever said, God, you got me into this mess. You are the one that has done this. I'm here because I believed that I have been obedient to you. Now look at my predicament. I've lost everything. And my text, if you want to take a text, is in verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it it, and the boy to Hagar, sent her away. Look at this next phrase. Then she departed and she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Beersheba means the well of the oath. If you're to read the rest of the chapter, it's where Abraham takes seven lambs and gives them to Abimelech, the the king of the Philistines, and they make a covenant together. And so it means the well of the oath, the well of promise. When we talk about about the promises that God has given. We, talk, we sang that lovely song, Waymaker. We believe, how many of you believe that song this evening? He is our waymaker. Even though I can't see it, even though I can't feel it, you're working. And every time you're working, and we believe that tonight. You sang it like you believed it tonight because it's the truth. And when we come to church and when we hear good teaching as you get here in church, you learn the promises of God. You learn the good things that God has done for you, that he is not against you, he is for you. He loves you, he cares for you, he looks after you. He's a good God. He's a covenant-keeping God. And when we take communion together, we remember that Jesus gave his life for us. He He took your poverty out of his richness and gave you his richness. It's a wonderful trade-off that happened on the cross. And we learn those things in church. You can have had a bad day and you come along to church and you sing and you're encouraged from the front by David or someone to to sing and you lift your voices and, and at the end you say, I'm glad I came to church today. Because God has met me. I had an awful day, but, but thank God I met him here at church. And that can be your experience. It's the place of promise. But imagine if you came along to church and you were asked to leave. Now that's not going to happen to you here. But it's like that for Hagar. Hagar's asked to leave. But I'm only here because you told me to. You're going to have to leave. But I'm only here because I didn't want to sleep with you, you ugly mutt. I only did it because you told me. See, we've got to realize Hagar did not have a choice. Her sleeping with Abraham was not a crime of passion. This was not an affair. This was a woman who did not want to do it, but was ordered to do it. And by doing it, gave up her right to have a child of her own. So was she badly treated? Well, she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And I want to speak tonight, maybe to one or two in this place, who maybe when you come to church, or or maybe you're going through a season in your life when it feels like you ought to be feeling different than you feel. 
You ought to be rejoicing, but when others are rejoicing, somehow there's a a depth of sorrow within you because it's not fair. What's happened to you is not fair. What happened to Hagar was not fair. What happened to me in Ethiopia was not fair, but God showed me that in my anger at that time, I was closing up the channel of hearing from God. So here with Hagar, look what she did. It says in verse 15, the water in the skin was used up. She placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went, sat down from him at a distance, about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him, lifted her voice and wept. Verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. Doesn't even say God heard her voice. He hears the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven. I love this. And said to her, what's your problem? I mean, it's, it's just, it's an, an, a surreal moment, this. The angel comes along, you know, I'm thinking, is this angel brain dead or something? What well, he coming along says, sorry, that's a bit insulting to say. Sorry, I don't mean that, Lord, they're not brain dead. Comes along and says, what ails you? What's your problem, Hagar? I think Hagar could have said, hold on a wee second, God. Have you taken your eye off me? Have you heard a single thing I've said to you? Where has you, have you been just looking at Abraham? This, hey, hey, I'm here. I'm here because I've obeyed you. You told me you were the God who, see, who sees. Well, do you see me? She could have said that. He says to him, what ails you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. And I want to tell you this evening, God hears you where you are, not where you're not. He hears you where you are. And the interesting thing in the story is this, is that when you read into the next verse, he says, arise, lift up the lad, hold him with your hand. I will make him a great nation. Verse 18, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Now listen, let me tell you something. That well was not there. See, she's in the wilderness. The definition of a wilderness, unless it's an oasis, the definition of a wilderness is somewhere where there's no water. It's a place where there's nothing there. I believe that God gave her her own well, right in the middle of the desert. Now, God may well make America great. I wasn't making a political point there at all. God may well make your nation great again. I pray that he does. I love America. It's a favorite place to come outside Israel and Ireland, of course. I love coming to America. It's a wonderful, wonderful place filled with people, many, many people who love God passionately. But I want to encourage you this, with this, this thinking. What if God doesn't want you to be number one? And translate that into the kingdom. We see Tom Cruise and everybody wants to be Batman or Tom Cruise or Superman or a Marvel hero. And as, as kids, we imagine ourselves in that place. We want to be the Abraham. We want to be the Moses, the Moses. But would you be happy if God called you to be a Hobab? Would you be happy if God called you to be Jeconiah or do you have to be Jehu? And those names you may not recognize because we don't major on them. We major on Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, 
on Moses and Joshua, on David and Solomon. But there are a lot of people in this Bible who maybe you'd call them number twos. They're not the number one, but they're people who God loved. And the question that I want to challenge you with tonight is, will you still serve him if God called you to be a number two? Will you still serve him if it doesn't look like you're the center of the party? Will you still serve him? The organization I work with, International Gospel Outreach, we've never advertised. God has just brought people to us. And a lot of people, ministers who've come to us are ministers who've been hurt by different reasons from different denominations. But we've picked up the pieces. And so we have a lot of misfits, if you like, in our organization. I'm going to India in November to, to, to organize a, a, a conference, but the, the rules of the conference are this. We're not going to New Delhi. We're going right up into a place called Siliguri in the north, and we've invited 200 leaders, key people from across the north of India, Assam, Sikkim, Darjeeling, over into Nagaland, up into Bhutan and Nepal, and we're inviting them together, people who would not normally be invited. They're number twos, if you like, not number one. People, but whose God, whose whose lives God's hand is upon, and I want to say to you tonight that if you feel like you're wandering in the wilderness of Beersheba, don't call or cry to God to take you back to the party, because God might not want you to be in the party. Ask God to open your eyes that you would find a well of water where you are. I can promise you there is a well of water for you right where you are in the midst of your confusion, in the midst of your saying it's unfair, in the midst of that feeling of being overlooked and neglected. We've got to get rid of the idea that God only loves number one. God actually loves number two, three, four. You can go down to the last person on earth who God loves. He calls us all in different ways. But God's hand was on Hagar. And he did not take her back to the party. He gave her a well of water where she was. I want to encourage you this evening. If you're suffering from this idea of it's not fair, let it go. You might have come through some horrendous things in your life, but you've got to let it go. When I started off ministry in the Methodist Church many, many years ago over in Ireland, I had to visit the elderly once a month. And so I was given a list. I had to go through my list every day. I had to go visiting. If somebody was in a hospital, I had to visit them once a week. If they were elderly, I had to visit them once a month. That was just the rules in the church where I was. There's this one lady in the city of Armagh who I, I dreaded going to see. And I was in her home many times, and I hated it every time I went because she always talked about the Catholics and the problems in Ireland. Of course, I was brought up in the terrorist years in, in Northern Ireland. A lot of people died. A lot of explosions went off. But this little Protestant lady, her problem, she saw the problems as belonging to the Catholics, and she rehearsed that every time I went into her place, every time I went in, it was the same story. I had one lady in my church. She always sat right at the back near the door on the left side as I looked down. One day, her son was murdered by the IRA. And she, I don't know if I ever saw her smile, maybe once. I couldn't talk to her much. I couldn't talk about forgiveness with her. 
because her life was consumed by what somebody did in stealing her son away. And she was badly treated. Listen, not one of us in this place this evening wouldn't agree that the woman was badly treated and that in many ways, if anybody had an excuse to rehearse the situation, she did. But it's a dead-end street. Have you ever been invited out for a lady for coffee and you've hesitated to go? You've said to your husband, I don't want to go out for coffee with that woman because you know what she's going to talk about? The same story about how she was mistreated every time. She always goes back and repeats the same story again and again and again. You know what I'm talking about? We've got to let it go. You might have lost a child. You've got to let that go. You might have lost a parent. You've got to let that go. You might have been badly treated in your life. You might have been disqualified by your, or sacked by your, your uh, sacked unfairly by your employer. You've got to let that go. Because until you let that go, every time you come into the presence of God, you will rehearse the same story again and again and again. I'm badly treated. I love you. I'm in this place because I was obedient to you. God, where are you? And we don't leave any gaps. We don't leave any pauses. We just tell God how we feel. And we walk away and we feel better then. But God's wanting to minister to us. I'll finish with this illustration. I was sharing up in in, uh, well, somewhere, and uh, I, was, I was preaching, and, and this guy came to me on the Sunday evening, and I was talking about forgiveness, and this guy shared, shared with me that he, every time he prayed, he, he saw the same thing. His daughter was, was uh, I think she was raped, didn't use the word rape, but his daughter was molested by some man when she was 17 years old. And every time he came to God, he saw his face, the face of the man who attacked his girl. And it couldn't, anyway, why I'm telling you is that on, on the Sunday morning at the altar, God delivered him completely. He took it all away and cleared out, cleared out the, the, the way to God once again. And listen, folks, America, oh, badly treated you might look at the president. You might look at what's going on. You might look at some of the things. And you might spend all your time like a Fox News reporter going over the same stuff again and again and again. You might replay the video of Joe Biden falling on the step of the airplane again and again and again. Let me say something to you. Stop it. Because we've got to get to the place. And this isn't, it isn't political because... Well, you know what I think of the clown, but there you go. It's another story. But listen, we've got to let it go because I've got to hear God. And if I'm going to hear God, I have to clear the airways so that there's nothing in here that can block here so that I can't hear him. And I'm one of those people who I go over it again and again. I do that. I've kept emails from people. Have you ever done that? Stored emails away. You'll never use it, of course. Have you ever had a letter, a bad letter from somebody? You haven't got it. You just keep it just in case. Have you ever done that? Now, you, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're not Irish enough to be like what I do. But listen, I've done it. Not any longer. I've got rid of them. I've burnt them. I've cleared them out because I want to hear God. So this evening, as I just pray, maybe God's speaking to you personally. It's not fair, you know. This message, you might be angry with me right now. You might think, go home to Ireland. Don't like you anymore. Maybe you liked me when we started and you don't like me anymore. 
Pastor Matt said that Kingsley encourages. You're thinking, well, he got that one wrong, didn't he? I don't mean that. I really believe that if you would release it, actually, your walk with God would go into hyperspace and you would start to hear him more clearly day by day. I can promise you that will happen. But until you release it, until you give it to him, allow God to open up your eyes so you can see the well of water he has for you. Until you can do that, then you'll stay like a record, an old record, stuck on the same track forever and ever and ever. Father, I pray for your people in this church this evening. Lord, particularly to one or two maybe that you're honing in on tonight. And all of us, I guess, that sometimes get angry because of the way others treat us. Forgive us, Lord, when we rehearse these scenarios in our mind and we go round them again and again and again. Please forgive us tonight. But Lord, I pray that for those maybe individuals that you're really focusing in on, who maybe a tragedy has happened, maybe something that the rest of us will never have to experience, a hurtful thing that causes them when they lie down at night to go over it again. When they wake in the morning, they go over it again. Lord, I pray Touch their hearts tonight and let them release that to you. I just want to pray for you tonight. Would you release that just where you are? I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I want you to be willing to release that. Could you write where you are in your, in your seat? Could you do that? Say to the Lord, Lord, I've rehearsed this for long enough. I've gone over and over, and it was I was badly treated. I was unfairly dismissed. It wasn't right what happened. When, when my auntie died from cancer, I, it, it, I, I believed it was your fault. Forgive me tonight. <coughs> so I come to you and I release it to you. I release my child to you. I release my parents to you. I release that person who treated me badly to you. I do it by faith. I might not feel like it, but I do it by faith tonight. And I want to say to you, you don't have to take me back to the party. But in the wilderness, show me the water. Open up the well of supply for me so that I can find release and find a new joy in you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.